Thank you. Hallelujah. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. That wonderful song, thinking about Easter, how he came out of the grave, how he came out, he was dead, but he came out alive, and he defeated death. Praise the Lord. It's very encouraging um, to know how much he loves us and how much he cares for us and that we can be with him and we can give our lives to him and let him lead our lives. Amen. I'd like to just ask the Lord to help me uh, minister tonight. Lord Heavenly Father, God, you are great and greatly to be praised, God. And it's a wonderful privilege, Lord, to be in your house. It's a wonderful privilege, beloved Father, to come and worship you and reach out to you, Lord. It's a great privilege, Lord, to minister your word, God. I pray that your anointing be upon me, God, and I pray that you will open our hearts and our ears, Lord, as we hear your word tonight, Lord. We ask that you be with us, God, at this time, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, I've called this message tonight, Footprints. So if you can open your Bibles with me to Psalm 119, verse 105. It's a very well-known and very loved psalm and scripture. 119, 105. And that says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. And if we go back to verse 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Um, For us, we're very privileged, and many people that know the word of God, it's a great big privilege because it is a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. We can always find our way if we go through Jesus. We can always go through Jesus. He doesn't put a time where we can go and when we can't go. We can go to him any time and reach out to him, and he is willing to guide and lead us and direct us in our lives. And, and we, if we haven't got somebody to pray with us and we haven't got time to pray, we read the word of God, and there's direction in the word of God. There's wisdom, and there's everything that we need in the word of God to help us and to lead us. We live like brother, brother uh, that brother over there, <laughs> Brother Alan was saying, the world that we live in is a terrible place at the moment. It's just really sinking sand. And more and more than ever, we need the Lord Jesus to guide us and to lead us and to direct us. So his word is a lamp unto our feet. It's not going to go away, and it says that his word is forever settled in heaven. So constantly, the word of God is going to be available for us. In the early 1980s, a lot of the generation of that time had much apprehension to the inception of computers. Some of their fears were the loss of jobs and the replacement of, skills, of the skills of man. The main cause of this fear was limited knowledge and understanding of computers and how to operate them. What was known was that all records and files were retained on hard copies, as it's known today. And there were always copious amounts of flies, files, and filing cabinets where these records were safely kept. That gave us security because we could always find whatever we wanted in one of those files. 
fear of computers was that at one little tap of a button or a key, all the retained records and information would be permanently lost. Other fears were the deterioration and loss of human skills to be replaced by computers. It is not unusual for change to be feared and misunderstood. Most changes in progress have been beneficial in our lives, such as from walking to riding animals to the invention of wheels to bicycles to motor cars and our motor cars even now travel at very, very high speeds. There's no end to the um, um, changes that can take place and we keep up with those changes. But computers was a difficult thing to accept for some of us. I was in that 1980s generation of computer co apprehension and today I'm amazed at the astronomic spread, ownership and usage of computers across all generations. All offices, most homes, family members and their grandparents own and use computers. But this feared innovation has spread the word of God in such great measure to all parts of the world and even getting to places where it is difficult for man to travel. I don't believe that this extent of spreading God's word was envisaged at the outset of the computer generation. And as I come to prepare a message, in my home I can switch on four computers. Yes, four. And find information and studies to work with, with the preparation of the message. And if you use your phones as well, that's another. Then Miles has got one and I've got one, so that's another two. So we've got six six of those things that we can turn on and refer to. So we have come from apprehension to reliance and dependence. And where there is a malfunction of any description, panic sets in and there is a need to find a quick solution. We are in a fast-paced, advanced age of computer technology where data can be obtained instantly and we become impatient when we cannot access the internet and get quick results. I'm so glad that everything is not done instantly and in a hurry with God. Although there are times when urgency is needed and answers and solutions can come quickly, but always God will adhere to the times and seasons he has put in place. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9 reads, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is gracious, and we are so thankful for his long-suffering toward us and allowing time and helping us to understand that we should and we need to come to repentance. Following in repentance, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So from the scripture, it is my understanding that after repentance, forgiveness by God is instantaneous. Repentance is a deliberate change of heart and mind when we turn away from sin and wrongdoing and turn to God and his ways. From my own experience, right at the beginning, immediately I confessed my sins and repented. I felt clean, light, and burden-free. 
And even as we're living for God and we make slip-ups from time to time and make mistakes or do wrong things, we can go to God, confess it to Him and ask Him to forgive us. It's not a one-time happening of repentance and the forgiveness of God. It's ongoing. And I'm so grateful for that because I certainly need that from day to day, day to day, day to day. It's easy for me to slip up and do things that are not pleasing unto the Lord, but I can go to Him and ask Him to forgive me and turn away from those things and he will cleanse me, he will forgive and cleanse. Amen. Going back to the subject of computers, the likelihood and hugely feared possibility of man losing the use of his... Okay. Of man, the likelihood... Let me start that again. Going back to the subject of computers, the likelihood and hugely feared possibility of man losing the use of his personal skills to the computer has actually happened with some skills. For example, and personally, Brother Miles, as a young man, served an apprenticeship for five years of training in the printing industry. And once qualified, he continued to grow and develop the skills by the experience and all the work he carried out had the personal unique imprint of his training and skills. But when we immigrated to Australia, there was no job for him because able computer operators had replaced his skills. Using a computer does not reflect unique individual personal skills, but the use of a computer does leave a personal digital footprint. This footprint is nothing that we can see with the naked eye, but in computer science, it is said to be permanent. And we leave a footprint every time we visit websites, send emails, submit information to online services, and interact with social media. In view of this fact, we need to take care what footprint we leave behind. Likewise, we as believers born again leave a Christ-like footprint wherever we go. We have a responsibility to leave a good footprint where others can see Christ in us because our example can show evidence of the love of God and lead people to God. There will always be someone, somewhere, who will begin to follow. If we leave a bad footprint, it's not easy to go back to erase it or remove it. The call to discipleship goes out to everyone, everywhere, and is just the same today as it was all those years ago, Jesus says, and I will make you fishers of men. And hopefully, straight away, when that call comes to us, we will drop our nets and follow him. Amongst the followers, there are potential leaders, and even leaders will follow leaders. And there are responsibilities in both of these roles, to lead and to follow. Leadership is not so much about position, but about influence. And I read somewhere in a magazine or a book or something that um, if you're not sure about being called to leadership and you're not sure that you have been called, one way to check on that is to look behind and see if there's anybody following. If there's somebody following you, maybe even just one person, that's a confirmation that you are in a leadership role. Amen. And we, this is the same for all of us. We are leaders when we bring somebody to Christ. We lead them to Christ. Amen. We, draw, we speak to them and we give them information and we bring them to the Lord and we are leading them 
to the Lord. And as long as we are serving the Lord and they, they are serving with us, they are looking to us because we are leaders in their eyes. Many of the disciples became leaders, continuing in the word of God and following the leadership of Jesus, who is the greatest teacher that ever lived. Jesus left a huge footprint. In the beginning, God raised up leaders to begin and to build the nation of Israel. This was, this was that he would have a people for himself to whom he would be their God and they would follow him. He called leaders by speaking to them and sometimes he gave miraculous supernatural evidence confirming his calling. These called leaders did not see him at all, even when he spoke to them. All along the way, he instructed them on how to follow him and how to lead his people. He gave Moses his written law for all to know, observe, and follow, but always to continue under leaders. God still calls leaders to lead his people. Moses left a huge footprint. Then according to God's perfect plan, and at the right time, God was manifest in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. In the account of Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22, we read, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net to the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren named James, James the son of Debedee, and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Jesus was not walking by the Sea of Galilee for recreation. He wasn't going for a stroll on the beach. He wasn't there by chance, but he had a deliberate purpose, and that it was to call followers whom he had chosen to be his disciples. These fishermen would follow in his footsteps. What does it mean to follow in someone's footsteps? It means to seek and attain and accomplish the same thing someone else, especially a family member, has done before. Fathers usually feel happy and proud when their sons or daughters follow after them. James and John, the sons of Debedee, had clearly followed the footsteps of their father to become fishermen. But now there was a change. Something was new. Leaders and followers were still being called. But at this time, those called were able to see Jesus personally. They heard their own personal calling and could look upon Jesus when he called them. Jesus walked before them, setting the example of the way he expected his disciples to follow. Amongst followers, leaders develop who, at some future time, will take up their leadership role. Of course, the person of Jesus was not going to be with us always. However, in his footsteps, leaders would lead other leaders who would lead other leaders. And so the succession continued, bringing us to the time when, in a miraculous way, a fearless, spirit-led, mighty giant of a leader succeeded, and his name was Paul. Of his background, he was Saul of Tarsus, and on his way to Damascus to carry out what he thought was the will of God, which was to persecute 
threaten and slaughter those who believed in Christ. However, God intervened and he was stopped and blinded by a bright light which shone around him. And he heard a voice saying, Paul, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Paul answered, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. At this encounter, Saul was trembling and astonished, and he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? That's all he said was, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? This is a question which indicates his intention and desire to total submission and obedience as to where to go and what to do to follow the Lord. This was the beginning of his apostleship, serving God without reservation. And just as a matter of reference, in Acts 23, verse 9, he was referred to as Paul. Of leadership, Apostle wrote in his first epistle to the Corinthians, Be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. It is probable that this verse could be tacked to the last few verses of chapter 10, where Paul says, He would not be offensive to anyone, Jew, Gentile, nor the church of God, to seek to please all men in all things, not seeking his own profit, which means that he acted for the benefit of everyone else and not for his own benefit. His desire always was that they may be saved. Paul did not indulge selfish desires and would do nothing to make it harder for any person to trust God and for people to be saved. This is certainly a great example to follow. He continued serving throughout many hardships, which were much labors, stripes above measure, frequently in prison. Three times he was beaten with rods, shipwrecked. He spent uh, plenty of time in the sea, keeping himself afloat, perils of robbers, and much more. But he never wavered and remained a faithful minister of Christ. These things did not put him off. He just continued to serve God. The life of Apostle Paul is most definitely an example of true submission to God, and he was certainly qualified to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Once again, Paul left a huge footprint. He was adamant that he should not be followed if he did not follow the truth. What is the truth? Where do we find the truth? Where do we hear the truth? How does it come to us? The truth and the word of God is not to be altered. So God gives us leaders who pass on the truth. And to this end, God has blessed us with our pastor. He looks out for our souls. He's a very good preacher and teacher. And he will always tell us that we ought to confirm the truth of a message preached against the Bible and not just to take his word. He is leaving his footprint and I was wanted to say that he's leaving a big footprint, but he might find that misrepresented. So he is leaving a good a footprint. Amen. Many would like to be used of God, but there needs to be certain basics for the spiritual platform. We all see Jesus as the remarkable and spiritual man that he was, but the very essence of his character and power was submission. For us, submission can be a challenging and difficult thing. But once again, our example is Jesus, as he prayed, saying, 
Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Matthew wrote, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. <coughs> the extent of the submission of Jesus went all the way to the cross. Jesus laid down his life. He had the power to lay it down, and he had the power to take it up again. But he chose to lay it down. Submission is required of all of us. And with Jesus as our example, how can we do anything less? The Bible says it this way. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If many man will come after me, let him desire himself and take up his cross and follow me. When we follow Jesus, we're going to have to take up a cross. We are going to have to uh, submit ourselves. We're going to have to be obedient. We're going to have to follow him. We're going to have to look to him for our decisions and for our lives. We're going to have to look to him for his word and for the truth. And um, we're going to have to pick up that cross and follow him. Submission is quietly choosing to let another be in control. We are to submit to the Lord in all things and in so doing, we submit to pastor, to elders and leaders in Christ, and of course to all the authorities of the land. In our lives and along the way, we will and do come to a fork in the road, a junction where one road becomes two, going in different directions. It is time to make a choice. A decision has to be made which way to go. And all the probabilities and the possibilities need to be considered. Only one choice can be made. And what standard of judgment or criteria is used at such a time as that? A current saying that is widely used is WWJD. WWJD. What would Jesus do? When we come to a crossroad, we come to a fork in the road and we don't know what to do, that's a good thing to stand by. What would Jesus do? And uh, such a good guide that would help us when we come to make those decisions. And even though we love God and we give our all to him and we serve him and we attend church regularly and worship him and read the word, we still face decisions in life that we need to make. We still find direction in front of us where we need to make a choice. And we need to, we need to ask the Lord to take us through those decisions and to guide us and lead us. For example, we look at the account of Abraham and Lot. This could have been a literal fork in the road, but it certainly was time for a profound choice and a decision to be made. Abraham suggested that he and Lot separate and go different ways because they had much livestock and insufficient pasture. Because of this, there was strife between the herdsmen trying to find feed for the livestock. The land stretched out before them, and as we know, Abraham gave Lot the choice of the way to go and the way to take. And Abraham and his family and his livestock would go in the opposite direction after Lot had made his choice. According to this account, there is no problem with the land. Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw that the plain of Jordan was well watered everywhere, and this would certainly be good for pasture. He had to make a decision. 
There was no signpost pointing to the direction to take, and the only thing to guide him was what he saw, and so he chose to go in the direction of the well-watered plains. Our flesh has a very strong pull on us, and we cannot always rely on what we see. The Bible gives a lovely picture of the plains of Jordan, well-watered everywhere, even as a garden of the Lord. It certainly looked favorable and the right way to go. The problem was, Lot took that direction, and he pitched his tent facing towards Sodom, a very sinful place. There was a political struggle going on between the kings of the east and the kings of Sodom, and Lot got caught up in the battles, and he was captured. He took the lengthy, it took the lengthy intercession of Abraham to God for Lot and his family to be delivered from that place. Unfortunately, out of the way of Sodom, by the hand of angels, his wife made another decision, and she chose to look back after they'd been told not to look back. And as you know, she was turned into a pillar of salt. And after they left Sodom, God destroyed Sodom. Lot got out just in time, but only by the grace and the mercy of God. Could I ask your sister Satenka, please, to the piano? Jesus taught that our lives can take one of two ways. One way is the broad way, and the other the narrow way. Matthew 7 and 13 says, Enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. From time to time, it is good for us to look back and remember the time when we first knew and recognized that we were sinners, the time when we surrendered all to Jesus, asked him to forgive us. We dropped our nets, we left behind close family, and we picked up our cross to follow him. Thank God that we are here tonight, and by his grace are among the few who have found and entered the narrow way. We have a trail of footsteps following from that time right up to now, and we are leaving our own footprints. 